I'm really excited uh, for the stillness message. If we can get that nice little logo up, stillness, prepared for a miracle. So if we've been going along, and by the way, if you haven't listened to the four messages prior to this, I would highly recommend going to our podcast. It's on any major distributor. Uh, it's free. Just type in BLVD space church and then listen to it. It's going to call, it's going to say stillness and it's going to be a, what do they call them? Colons, a colon. And then it's going to be the title of each message. Um, listen to it. I'll really take this in because I, I don't think it's a coincidence. Um, when I planned these messages out, it was supposed to end the last week of December. Um, but the way everything kind of landed, the first two weeks of 2020, we spoke on being still before God. I don't think that was an accident. I don't think that was a coincidence. I think God wants us to remember that the beginning of this thing, whatever's happening, awesome, whatever's happening this year, the beginning of the thing will have begun with stillness. And I think that's important. And no matter how, when we end 2020 and we look back, and all the crazy things God did. See, I have too much room to play with. All the crazy things that God did this year, I believe it'll be really important that we remember it started with stillness. Amen. Uh, because any major amazing thing that's going to happen in your life on the pathway of righteousness is in following God. Any major movement will begin with being quiet and listening to God, to praying to him, letting him build your faith, to be vulnerable before him, and to truly set yourself apart. And so with that being said, I want to go all the way back in time, and we're going to finish off our story with the Joshua generation. The Joshua generation is who we've been focusing on this whole series. For those of you who haven't been to all of them, we have not left this group of people and watched them be still before a war. And last place that we saw them, they had a portion of their manhood cut off, and they're waiting, which is just Terrible times, just terrible times. Um, and I actually want to go back farther from that. And so I want to take us to one verse in Joshua, just one verse we're going to focus on. It's the section of scripture we started on. And I want to start on it one more time. Joshua is getting ready to cross the water into the promised land. As in there was a land God promised his people, and Joshua was about to lead the people across a river and into that land to fight a war for what God has given them. And just before that, God says to Joshua, I'm going to do something great in your midst tomorrow. Prepare the people. And how does Joshua prepare the people? Let's go to Joshua chapter 3, verse 5, I believe. Hopefully, if not, this will be embarrassing. Yep, here we got it. Uh, then Joshua said to the people, consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Let's leave that up for a second. Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. The Lord will do wonders among you. That word for consecrate is Kadash. I, and I actually pronounced that right because Kadash. I actually spoke, I listened to the person say it on like the strongest concordance like a billion times, like Kadash, Kadash. Kadash. It's one of those words that white people with no accent. Or, you know, it's funny. Everyone thinks they don't have an accent. So because my accent is my accent, I don't think I have one. Uh, because of my particular accent, can actually pronounce that. It's very exciting. I love it. Uh, Kadash. And Kadash means consecrate. Now, that word means to consecrate, to sanctify, to make holy, to be hollowed, to be sanctified, to be set apart, to be appointed. So it's a bunch of crazy words that all mean separate from everything else. 
And so when Joshua said, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, the Lord will do wonders among you. What he was saying was anything that is not of God in your life, separate yourself from it tonight because God's moving tomorrow and you don't want to be ashamed in his presence when he does something big. Now, no shame if you feel shame in the moment. But one of my favorite verses in all of the Bible is found in 1st, 2nd, or 3rd John. Forget which one. I just know John wrote it. And John says that at the presence of Christ, we can be so right before God. We can so walk in righteousness that the coming of Christ, we do not shy away. As in, we're so confident in our position with God that when Jesus Christ comes back at the end of time and people are screaming and saying, mountains fall on me, I want to die, it says you'll run into his arms, confident, because you know that he is your savior, that he loves you, and everything that happened before that moment means nothing in the face of the beauty of what's in your presence now. That comes from a mind that is consecrated. Look all across the Bible. Anytime the Holy Spirit moved, anytime God moved, if people felt right with God, they were confident. But there were people who said, God, I'm going to die if I look upon you. Because they were aware of their sins. I'm not saying your sins will damn you because they won't. Jesus took it on the cross. Understand that. But there is a life we lead and there's a life we can live that will make us confident at the appearance of our God. If Jesus walked in the room right now, would you be confident or would you be scared? And I know the Christianese answer is to say, oh, I'd be confident. But would you? Would you really? Think about the thing God's called you to do. Do you do it or are you afraid to do it? Because if you won't even do that thing, how are you going to run into his presence? If you feel unprepared for something as insignificant as a moment, why are you going to be confident in something as big as your eternal God before you? It shows us where we really feel about sanctification. You ever feel like, man, I want to pray, but I'm just too messed up? Now, you shouldn't feel that way. But if you weren't doing those messed up things, how confident would you be? And so there is a healthy way to actually live right. And so you actually don't feel those fears. Let's go out and evangelize, guys. Oh, I have no right to evangelize. Yeah, you do. You're saved. But the fact that you feel that way shows you're actually doing something behind the scenes we don't know about. But God does, and you feel unconfident before him. God wants you to be confident in his presence. God wants you to be confident in his presence. For this sermon, I planned on breaking it down theologically. God had something else planned. But I will give a brief rundown. As far as consecration goes, there are three types and three styles of consecration. Let's go over them very quickly so that we can not talk about them for the rest of the sermon. Very excited. Uh, the first point is what I'm calling positional consecration. It's a big fancy word. Here's what it means. All it means is when I get saved, I'm forever right with God no matter what I do. Did you know that no matter how much you sin, if you truly believe Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you're going to heaven and there's nothing anyone can do about it? Did you know that no matter how much you fall short, if you really truly are saved, God will always pick you back up? Do you know that no matter how dirty and how covered in gunk you become, you know your father will always pick you up and hold you as his child, no matter how messed up that you are? Did you know you can't lose being a son of God? You know, you can't lose being an ambassador. Do you know you can't lose being a friend? Do you know you can't lose being the bride of Christ? You know you can't lose it? You know that's not how our God operates? The Bible makes it clear. You can disown a child 
Biblically, terrible, I know, but you can. But you can't disown someone you adopted. And that's why Paul says you've been adopted unto Christ. He's making a statement. You can't be unadopted. You have to be his child. It's by the law that God operates in. Positionally right with God, no matter what I do. Titus can't do nothing wrong. That's my son. He does all the time. He sneezed in my face the other day. You know what I said? Oh, what's that? If anyone else sneezed on my face, I'd cry or punch. If my wife sneezed on my face, I'd be like, yo, don't you ever do that to me again. He sneezed on my face like that was the cutest thing in the world. And then I got sick and I was still like, he just, he can't do anything wrong. He's amazing. He's beautiful because positionally he's my son, no matter what he does. This kid has pooped and peed on me, which by the way, that'll preach. Um, cause I feel like how many times have we done something similar to our Lord? Uh, but this kid has just covered me in whatever he possibly could cover me in. And I have loved him nonetheless. Because positionally, he'll always be my son. That does not mean that when he gets a little older, spare the rod. I ain't going to spare it. I believe in the laying hands on of ministry. You know what I'm saying? Like, I believe it. And so some people, oh, that's wrong. Even legally, you can spank your kid once in, in, in a crowded room, and they can't do nothing about it. Right? It's a bah. Awesome. Fantastic. I'm really excited. Yeah, he's too young right now. because I always tell him, mom's a witness. Right? I always go, I can't wait to spank you someday. I say it to him because I'm so excited. It's like if there's like a, a line in parenthood that you finally get to cross once you've successfully spanked your child. And right now, if I spank my child, I'm a jerk. He doesn't understand. But later, he's going to understand. And I'm going to help him understand. You know what I'm saying? Either he will understand or he will be made to understand. Uh, what are we talking about? I'm just kidding. Positionally, he is always my son. That's important. But again... I won't spare the rod. Well, I will spare a rod because it's ridiculous. I'm not going to hit him with a rod. Uh, Middle Eastern people, they're crazy. Uh, but he's going to get the hand for sure. I don't really wear belts, but I don't know how I feel about it. I mean, I was beaten up by a belt, and I mean, I ended up okay. The chancla. <laughs> I, I lived in an all-Latin town. Literally, I was the only white family there. And my friend Jared, one of my best friends in the world, his grandma one time, I made a smart mouth comment, and she took her shoe off and flung it, and boom, right in my face. And I was like, what just happened? And Jared laughed and said, you just got chonkled. And I was like, I'm white. Translate everything that just happened, because I don't get it, right? I just got chonkled. And then from that point on, I got hit with the chonkled all the freaking time. It's ridiculous, right? And she still loved me. She'd always hit me, and then she'd be like, now bring my shoe back. And I, and I would. I don't know why. I'd be like, yes, ma'am. <laughs> Fantastic. Good times. Um, I'm ready to pray out. Uh, dear Lord, in heaven, we thank you. I'm just getting fast, fastest sermon in the West. Said no one ever. Um, the second type of consecration is called practical consecration, which means that even though no matter what I do, I'm always right with God, there is still a way I can operate in my day-to-day where I actually live as though I'm right with God. Jesus goes so far as to say that he has come to consecrate himself in this world. And we'll read the verse later. I have come to consecrate myself in this world so they may be sanctified in their callings. And that's a really interesting scripture because what Jesus is basically saying is, I made them positionally perfect so they could finally live the lives that lead to them doing their calling. Did you know that some of you, the reason why your calling's eluding you is because there's a lifestyle God is requiring you to live to actually walk in it. And you're just not ready yet. That's why a few weeks ago I said, if it's really is a God calling, your character will have to grow to make it. If the thing you feel called to do, you can do it today, it's not a God thing. That's too easy. 
See, God's going to give you something so big, so unrealistic that I have to grow as a person if I want to obtain that. But it's going to be so worth it. It gives me something to dream about, to be excited about, to pray about it. It gives me a a measuring rod to go, look, I know the kind of person I need to be. And God, help me to be that person. It helps me go to the people around me. I feel called to be a pastor. Here's the section of scripture that says, here's what a pastor is. I'm not living it. Help me. And now I begin to walk down this life of being practically sanctified before my God. And the last and third type of consecration or sanctification. We we got to understand what the word means, right? It just means set apart. Just that's the easiest way to put it. Holiness, sanctification, consecration. They all mean set apart. Uh, They have little theological nuances to them. But basically, it just means set apart. And that means all the things I used to do, I don't do them anymore in favor of doing something better. Now I just can't do fun things anymore. But now I have the right to do something I couldn't do before. You know, the Bible tells you that you are slaves to sin until God comes into your life. What that means is you could not do what was right before God no matter how hard you tried. But with God, you now have the choice. It's funny. People argue about free will versus predestination. And I've always said, I believe God calls those he calls. And once I'm called, then I have free will. Because before, I only could do what was wrong. But now I can choose between what is right and what is wrong. And some of us still choose what is wrong. And that's why we're afraid to go into the presence of God. It's why we feel unqualified for our call. It's why we don't show up to things. There are people who belong in our intercessory prayer. And when I ask them, hey, why don't you go? They say, I'm just, I got to work on some things. You don't got to work on you to pray. Actually, that's the only way to work on you. God never called you to be perfect, right? What's that fancy saying? God doesn't call the qualified. He qualifies the called. Qualification, that's the process. That's that practical sanctification. As in it daily, renew your mind before God. Paul says it this way, walk out your salvation with fear and trembling. What does that mean? When you figure out the things that God doesn't like, Stop doing them. (laughs) But go make your, you got to walk it out. You're going to trip. You're going to scrape your knee. You're going to make a mistake. You're going to get back up. You're going to try again because I am not perfect. I am getting perfect. I am getting perfected before God. The last type, because I totally got off topic, the last type of sanctification, we actually just call that glorification. That is not something you can attain ever. Here's what this means. It means that when Jesus Christ comes back and when he takes us into his perfect kingdom, whether you're a preterist, partial preterist, new, you believe that Jesus has come or he hasn't come or there's actual thousand-year millennial reign, whatever you believe, it doesn't matter. All that matters is that at the very end of everything, when it's us and God and there's nothing in the way, the Bible says we'll be so sanctified so set apart will no longer desire the things that are sinful. What does that mean? That means no matter how right you get, you'll always be a little tempted. And so don't take your temptation or your faults as a sign of, wow, I really just suck. Nope, it means you're human. It's an excellent reminder. This is why I need Jesus. Well, I can't believe I watched that video again, and I can't believe you've called me anyway, God. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you that you've called me even though I've fallen short. Thank you that you're still going to keep me coming, and you're still going to keep showing up to me. Thank you that you think I'm worth it. Thank you that you wasted your time on me. Thank you. I love my epic has a line about Jesus in there. It's a band. They have a song, and they say, God, you've restored every last wasted breath. God, you've restored every breath I've wasted. Everything I've said contrary to you, you've restored it and made it for your good. Amen? 
God doesn't change you. He redirects you. That's important. Peter, hard-headed, right? You ever read about Peter? You ever, you ever hear that Jesus says, get thee behind me, Satan? You know who he said that to? Said it to Peter, my boy. Y'all, just saying, that was God's number one dude. That was the one he called the lead everything. That guy, he called Satan. So when God says, hey, you messed up, my <laughs> At least I am Peter. <laughs> At least you didn't call me Satan. Uh, we're still going. We're still in this. We're moving. We're moving, right? <laughs> and God is still good anyway. Um, amen, right? Amen. God is good. Don't lose sight of the depth of your call. Don't forget that you cannot lose it, but you can postpone it by the life that you live. And so sanctification, ready? Lord, the Lord will do wonders among you. Let me ask, honestly, I called this message prepared for a miracle. Do you want the Lord to do wonders in your life? Hear me. Christians don't want God to do wonders for our life. They want us to do it in our life. What's the difference? I don't live right to get something. I live right to give something. Amen? The Bible says that because you were saved, you get heaven. That is the greatest blessing ever. No other blessing is promised to you. But what is promised is the closer you get to God, the more you give blessings. And so if I get into a community of people that all desperately want to give blessings to each other, how blessed will I be? Very blessed. <laughs> so what God does is he lets us produce an environment where his blessings reign freely. That's an important topic. Why didn't the rat check come? Why didn't God show up and give that rent check? Well, I mean, honestly, about three weeks ago, God called you to pay someone else's rent and you didn't. And now you're shocked that yours didn't get paid. But you got to consecrate yourself because the Lord wants to do wonders among you. I don't think wonders is always what we think they are. <laughs> Salvation's a wonder. I believe healings are possible. I believe they're a wonder. But how come when we pray and you're sick and you get into worship, healing doesn't just land on you? Why does God say, hey, you, go pray for that person? It was the point. It's what he was always about. God was always about us. Jesus was in the midst of the people and said, I'm leaving. And they said, no, God, don't leave. And he says, it's better that I leave. Why is it better that I leave? So that I can indwell you. So I can fill you with my Holy Spirit. Well, but now if God's in me, that means what I do is what God called me to do. And that means that when I give someone money, God gave them cash because he's the one that called me to, to do it. And instead of Jesus saying, hey, Eliza, go take care of them, right? Which is embarrassing. And by the way, that wasn't like a prophetic word, unless it was. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, but what it happens is inside of you, God's like, do it. And you're like, oh, I don't want to do it. Do it. I, I don't want to do it. Do it. I don't want to do it. And then you do it, and you feel so right before God. Or you don't, and now I can't pray today because me and God are distant. Remember, you and God can't be distant. He's inside of you. But when I am not walking in the things of God, I'm not aware of God. When I'm not aware of God, I feel distant from him who's within me. How can I be distant from someone that's always with me? Sometimes I'll go through points in my life. I kind of get in my own head. And, and, and I'll think a lot on things. And, and even though I'm in the room with people, I'm not really aware of them. Yeah. 
And it's been a few moments where my wife will say to me, I feel so distant from you. And I'll be like, well, we just hung out for like five hours. And it's like, no, 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 we didn't hang out for five hours. We sat in a room together for five hours. You weren't here. And that is what happens with us in the Holy Spirit. God was always in the room. But because I wasn't there, because I wasn't aware, because I wasn't giving attention, I still was distant from God in a sense. He never left me. I kind of left him. How aware are you of the Holy Spirit? Listen, love it or hate it. Bill Johnson has one of the greatest quotes in all time, right? And this is like something that radically altered my life, right? I think on it to this day. He says, if the Holy Spirit was a dove that landed on your shoulder, how would you walk in such a way that the dove would stay on your shoulder no matter where you went? He says, every step is with the dove in mind, right? I thought about it in the sense of laying in bed when I was sick and I had a cat that would come lay in bed with me. And, and so then I would like, lay in an uncomfortable position because I just wanted the cat to stay, you know? And so I would willingly make myself uncomfortable so that the thing that laid with me would stay, right? And so sometimes we have to make ourselves just a little uncomfortable because God's in the move and God's in the room and God's want to do something in our lives and I really want to stay aware of him. And so I'm laying and moving and walking with him in mind so that when he moves, I'm aware and I'm a part of it. Amen? But this is required in consecration. I will so set my life apart. Where am I at on time, by the way? I will so set my life apart. I will so be consecrated before my God. Because when I consecrate, I'm forcing myself to stay aware of him. Because you don't consecrate unless you're consecrating unto something. I don't set myself away from the world. See, it doesn't mean to be set apart, but I think it gives us a bad vibe. See, I'm setting myself away. No, I'm setting myself to. See, it's not they're bad, I'm staying away. It's he's good, and I'm drawing near. Flip the perspectives. We can't be so negative all the time because God isn't. God is for us. Well, we're for God. But there's a Bible for saying he's for me, so it's both. Why can't it be both? And many of us, amen, sounds like love. I would say that many of us have tacked God on to the life that we already live. That is not and will never be consecration. I have preached sermons where I've talked about being separate and giving up your life to love Jesus. And I've had people tell me, well, he doesn't expect me to give up everything, does he? He, he did. He absolutely did. He gave up everything for you. I love the pastor who said that he bankrupted heaven. Because the Bible calls Jesus the crown jewel of heaven. The crown jewel came and died, left heaven, and died on our behalf. He bankrupted heaven. The chief jewel, the chief glory, the chief, oh, this beautiful thing left to pay for us. Because when Jesus said to Talistai, when Jesus said it is finished on the cross, when he says to Talistai, we quote that and translate that to it is finished. But those of you who study the Greek, you know that to Talistai means paid in full. He didn't say it's finished. He said, I've paid for them. I'm done here. Right? We found ancient Greek receipts. And on the bottom of the receipts, it would say to Talistai across it. What does that mean? It means it's been paid for. And so Jesus paid for us. He gave up everything. Does he really expect us to give up everything? He says, become a new creation. 
He says, be born again. He says, anyone who looks away from the plowshare is not worthy of it. He says, count the cost and pay it. Jesus is in a crowd of people, and they come up to him, and they ask him a question that I so desperately wish he would have answered differently. They come up to Jesus and say, is it lawful to pay taxes? And my boy said, yes, which is the worst, right? People are like, taxation is theft. It's like, well, apparently Jesus said get robbed then, um, <laughs> which is fine, but he did say it, so we ain't here to argue with Jesus. We've, okay, the flesh doesn't want to pay, probably should just pay then. Same reason we don't tithe, by the way. Flesh don't want to pay, but that's between you and God. You can listen to flesh or your spirit. Um, and, 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 and so they say, do you have to pay taxes? And Jesus says, no. No, I'm just kidding. No, Jesus says, yeah, I wish he said no. I still wish he said no. Tax season's coming up, y'all. And uh, I've been working for a nonprofit, so I got, I got like, taxes to pay. Um, I'm really excited for that. I've worked two jobs this last year, and both of them were like, oh, we're just going to pay you, and you can do tax at the end. So I've been, like, putting my money off to the side for the first time in my life, and I'm like, this sucks. Like, like I prefer when you just take it away, and I never knew you took it from me. I just say, but, like, the... Wow, it's actually that much? I never looked at it. Like, it's like, oh, we subtract this much? Because I don't want to get mad. I didn't look at it. I was like, I should have made this much, whatever. I made this much. That's what we're going to focus on. And now I got to like, 25, 20. And I'm like, I'm the one pulling it out. Worst thing ever, a shoebox in the corner of our room. And it, it ain't savings. It's all going away. <laughs> it's all going away. I need prayer, y'all. I'm mad. Like, y'all, I'm just kidding. Uh, so Jesus <laughs> looks to him and says, Give me a coin. Give me a dollar. I'm just kidding. I wouldn't have given back. Um, difference between me and Jesus, I guess. Um, <laughs> yeah, then I'll be like, oh, I got robbed. And how much money was in the jar? 500 more than was. And then that's how, that's how I make the money back. Um, anyway, uh, let's not do that. Um, so he says, give me a coin. And he hands him a coin, and who knows if you got a coin or a dollar in your pocket, we put the picture of the president's on there, right? Um, it's a shine, it's a sign it's showing this is American money. You don't really own this, you're borrowing it. That's why we tax you. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. But like it's a funny joke, and everyone's like a little mad, so like we're all going along with the joke. Um, and he says, Whose image is on this coin? And y'all know where I'm going with this, but it's still important to hear again. Oh, Caesar's image is on this coin. And so he says, give to Caesar. What is Caesar's? Well, George Washington's dead, so I guess I keep those, right? Um, <laughs> give to Caesar. What is Caesar's? But he said, he said, pay your taxes. Everyone's mad, right? They did it to trap him. They wanted him to say in front of the people, yes, give your money to the people oppressing you. Or, no, don't. And then they would run and say, hey, Caesar, this guy's trying to overthrow you. Lose-lose situation. And Jesus boldly says, no, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. But you give to God what is God's. And notice something. No one asked the follow-up question that they were supposed to ask. What's God's? Whose image is on you? right? So you give to Caesar, whose image is on this coin? Caesar's. Okay, so what image is on you? Well, I was made in the image of God. Then give to God what is God's. Did Jesus say give a portion of this coin to Caesar? He said give the whole thing, didn't he? Because when we consecrate ourselves, we don't give a portion. We give the whole thing. It's not a tax. It's a surrender. 
Can I get an amen? That is consecration. Think about your life. Think about the person you want to be. Think about the calling you believe God has in your life. And really, genuinely get still with God and say, God, what do I got to do to be this? Because it's going to be so much more beautiful and so much more worth it than what I'm doing right now. I'm miserable. I'm desperate. I'm living day to day, moment to moment, aware of the debts and the, the, the terrible things over my life. I'm sick of it. Then give it away. Then give it away. The addictions, give them away. The pride, give it away. That this is my life. I'm going to live my life the way I want to. Give it away. I am genuinely sick and tired of seeing Christians who I know aren't involved in church talk about church on Facebook. You have no right. Because, see, Jesus said, do not forsake the assembly of the saints. And we say, well, I know better. So what we're doing is we're trying to live Christianity with this. Well, I don't really got to lose me to follow Jesus, do I? I don't got to be around them. They're hypocrites. Come on. This is important. People, we have to live this life according to the way God's called us to live. Even the uncomfortable parts. And we're going into 2020. We're in 2020, but we're, we're really going into 2020 together. And the only way this will work is if we're unified. And unity is we all submit to each other. Because the second one person thinks what they want is more important than anyone else, they're a chink in the chain that is unity. Unity demands I'm going to hold with these two people, and we're just going to facilitate what they need facilitated so the whole thing can go around. But if we refuse to be a part of the body, we refuse to be consecrated. And showing up on Sunday is not being a part of a body. There's no love. There's no community. There's no relationship. Jesus Christ came and died for us in person and filled us with him. Not so that we could show up once a week and walk away from each other. But so that we could break bread daily. And literally, I've had people come at me and say, well... Well, Jesus doesn't really want us to be daily around each other, does he? I'm like, I mean, that's what the Bible says. I ain't read a verse that said no about that yet. One of my favorite sections in all of Scripture, I'll say that a lot today because I'm really passionate about this topic, so I'm bringing all my favorites out. Um, one of my favorite sections in all of Scripture is when James gets murdered. That's not my favorite part. And Peter gets taken to prison. Peter's in prison, and he's chained up. And God frees him. And when he gets up and he walks through the town, he goes to find people. He goes to find the church and let them know what God had done because God set him free. And when he goes and he knocks on the door, a woman comes, sees him, and runs away saying it must be his angel. Which, I mean, they still got bad theology, right? Um, <laughs> they're still working on it. Um, and, and then she comes back and they let him in. And when he says he walks in, it says, for the church was already gathered in that building, praying for him. I want to be in that kind of community that when life hits, when life hits and you turn to the people because you need prayer, they're already praying for you. See, Peter didn't have to ask them, go pray for me. But when he found them, it said they were praying for him. Because they were so united, they were so about each other, that one of us is hurting, so we're going to come together and cry out for that person because they're by themselves right now. God, go be with them. Why did God come and break open the doors? See, 
Why did they do it? Was it to build Peter's faith? Yeah. But did it also not break, build the faith of the people? Literally, while we're praying for you, you walk in the room having gotten out of jail. What's happening right now? Why is God so good? These people had consecrated themselves. These people had set themselves apart. How do I know? They were being murdered and thrown in jail because the government didn't like what they were doing because they were too set apart. They were too about something that wasn't what they were about. It wasn't that they weren't about them. It's that they were about Jesus. They were consecrated. They were set apart unto something more beautiful. If I can get a look at that real quick. Just, just real, real quick. Got 11 minutes. Um, if, uh, Aaron, you want to come make me sound holy. Actually, the worship team, if you guys want to come up just for uh, a moment, because I really want to end uh, with prayer and, um, and just worship in this place to really be set apart. I think worship's another thing people find weird. It's only weird if you're talking to this guy. It is not weird if you're talking to a real God. If you are worshiping a genuinely real God, it's not that weird. It actually is the most logical thing you can do. How real is God to you? In that quietness, in that stillness, how prepared are you to leave those things that you desire in the name of having the things that you need? A few people are beginning this journey and I've been having conversations with a few people in this building where people are in the middle of consecration, making really hard and difficult decisions in the name of being free. And any of them can attest, as I can attest in my own life, consecration really isn't that fun. It's why many Christians never make it that far. I'm set apart enough to make it to heaven, but not enough to bring heaven to earth. I want to go to a church that gives. I just don't want to give. I want to go to a church that goes out and prays. I just don't want to go out and pray. I want to feel like I'm doing the thing without actually doing the thing. It's putting on a show. If we rewind the clock, if we rewind time past... 2020 past Jesus but before the Joshua generation who are praying and saying consecrate yourselves we see a woman named Esther and Esther is one of my number one top five favorite Bible heroes I genuinely believe she is the greatest warrior in all of the Old Testament I genuinely believe that she warred not from an old covenant perspective but from a new covenant perspective as in she the way a Christian's supposed to war, not the way the Israelites warred. She warred in such a unique way that when we look at it, we see this is how I'm called to live. And so there was a bride that was married to a king. I'm going to tell the story as we close out. There was a bride that was married to a king. And the Bible says the king was throwing a feast. And it said, and so the bride threw a feast for the other brides. she didn't go to the feast of her king she set up a place for all the other brides to get around each other and talk about how great their life is modern translation 
She didn't change for God. She didn't throw a party for God. She threw a party so all the other churches and all the other Christians can see just how well off I am, even though on the inside, I'm not in love with my king. She, she, she threw a party. It reminds me of Gideon. And when God finds Gideon, the Bible says that Gideon is in a wine press, threshing wheat in the middle so that, so that the people wouldn't know that they were threshing wheat. On the outside, it looked like the wine press. The outside looked like the anointing oil, right? Because in this place, anointing oil is made. But on the inside, on the inside was something completely different. On the inside were the crops. On the inside was, which by the way, barley and wheat sits up across scripture in the Old Testament always represents humanity. It's funny. It's actually interesting that when a lot of times you'll see prophecies about Jesus and and it'll be referencing barley and wheat that's going to get destroyed or barley and wheat that's going to be transformed because barley and wheat has always shown the people this is us, our broken people. And so on the inside of something that's supposed to represent anointing, on the inside really is something representing man. And so we see the same thing with Esther, not Esther, we see the same thing with this bride and with all the brides around her on the outside they're adorned and they're beautiful and they look like kings and queens but on the inside they have no love for their king god can only celebrate so long with you not there until it becomes readily apparent that you were just never invited to the party and here's why that's important you ever hear this the story of the brides and some get in and some don't And the brides who don't make it into the feast, he says, be gone, I never knew you. You may have dressed up, you may have looked right, but you may have had the oil cans, but it wasn't filled. Don't act the part. If you've got to look jacked up and worn out and beat up to become the part, then do it. Because all that'll really be is my outside, or sorry, my inside's finally on the outside. And that's the first step anyway. The first step is admitting it. Anyone who ever battles any type of addiction will tell you that. You will never overcome it until you admit you're in it. It's the same with God. You'll never overcome whatever you're struggling with until you admit it to people. Get prayer from each other. So what does this king do? He divorces his bride. A bride who never really loved him anyway. And so he starts to look for a new bride. And so... The people go around and they start getting new brides together, these women to try to show off. And one of the women who gets grabbed is is Esther, right? And Esther is this amazing Bible character who did things right. And she wasn't going to go for it. But her uncle came to her and said, hey, you ever hear the Bible verse where you say for a time such as this? That's from the book of Esther. And her uncle tells her, you need to go for this because maybe this is an opportunity and you're set up for a time such as this. Our people are being beat up, thrown down. They are being oppressed. And maybe God is going to have you marry this man so we can be free. And spoiler alert, that's what happens. See, one bride couldn't admit her issues. The other one did because she admitted it. She got advice from a mentor who led her in the right direction. Esther is only going to do what she's called to do because there were mentors who met her in her honesty and walked her where she was supposed to go. You cannot be consecrated or sanctified or set apart for God unless you really, truly, and fully are honest with people. And I I talked about that a little bit last week. To say, oh, I'm kind of struggling with addiction a little bit. Pray for me does not communicate to people of, I've been drunk every night the past three weeks. 
And that's a really, there's a difference in how I'll pray for you, depending on how you communicate that. But what do we do? We give enough of the truth to not feel bad, but not enough to change. That's religion. Sorry, that's legalism. It's that shot we've talked about in the past. The, the vaccines. What do they do? They give you enough of a dead thing so you never catch the real thing. And I think too many vaccinated Christians are walking around with enough of a dead belief in Jesus to never catch the real thing. But Esther breaks out of that because she's honest with a mentor. This honesty leads her to be honest again with the man who's running the program. Hey, all of you 10 ladies who might be the king's bride, she's honest and she's open and God puts favor on her. And this man says, you know what? I like you. He pulls her off to the side and said, let me tell you how you're going to win. Because when we go on the pathway of consecration, God does make it easy. He does open doors for you. You hear the thing, who can close a door? God doesn't close. Who can open a door that God hasn't opened? He starts opening doors that no one can close. And you start walking through because my goal is to be consecrated. And everything I'm doing is unto something greater than just paying my rent, than just working enough to feel like I've done enough in this life, of just living so normal and so mundane. When the, Jesus, when the Bible says that Jesus' blood is covering me, the blood of a God is coursing through my veins and I'm using it to retire at 50? Have a white picket fence with four and a half children because that's the statistic which is crazy. Uh, A a Labrador retriever, a two-story house because that'll make me satisfied. That's nothing. So she gets honest. Because nothing's going to change until you're honest. Because she gets, she gets honest. And nothing's going to change until you're honest. And she gets honest and this man starts to say, I got ideas for you. And what does he say? He says, do these things and you'll find favor with the king. Now what is she doing? Everything she's doing behind closed doors, she's preparing herself to look beautiful for her king. That is consecration. He says, soak yourself in these oils. The Bible says that she had calluses for she was a working woman. And that she gets into these oils and God begins to soften. The oils begin to soften that which was callous. And as we begin to consecrate ourselves in the Holy Spirit, we become more aware of God. That oil, that anointing, God begins to soften our hearts. The Bible says actually replace it, a heart of stone with a heart of flesh. He begins to soften us and those hurts and those walls and those pains melt away. They don't get cracked open. They don't get busted down. They melt away in the presence of my comforter. And I begin to consecrate. Not in this legalistic, angry way of you have to live and walk and act this way, but in this beautiful way of, man, God's really doing something with me. Thank you. It keeps me grateful. And so she, she starts to become beautiful to her king. And every day, every day, she does whatever she can to be beautiful to the king and to draw his attention. Again, consecration. Setting myself apart because I want to be what God desires. And God does desire us broken, and he does desire us in our hurt and in our pains. But how many of y'all know who've ever gone through the Bible long enough, you know that he also desires us to walk pure. He also desires us to live right. 
He also desires us to make sacrifices. He also desires, I've seen a post going around recently, which I don't think is wrong. Like, oh, in 2020, I'm going to start to look more like Jesus. I'm going to hang out with hypocrites. I'm going to, what is it, drink wine. I'm going to, like, it gives this laundry list of things. Like, every person I wanted to post, I'm going to fast for 40 days. I'm going to call people Satan who are acting wrong. I'm going to, right? And so we got to take the full thing of Jesus and not our favorite half, right? And we got to start living like him, not just our favorite parts of him, because we're not ashamed of the God who wasn't ashamed of us. The God who's going to prop me up. The God who's going to say about me like he said about Job. Have you seen my righteous one, Wesley? The Bible tells us that God watches us, which is creepy unless you're a parent and I watch my son sleep and now it's beautiful. Before that, it was creepy. Um, <laughs> and, and so they, you begin to consecrate. And while she's in the tub consecrating, the king's right-hand man is plotting to kill her people. While she's doing nothing to stop it, and she's heard plans her uncles told her, why she's doing nothing to fight against it. She's just becoming more beautiful to her king. The enemy's moving. The enemy's setting up traps. The enemy's getting ready to destroy her and her people. And she's resting in the goodness of God and letting him prepare her. And as this woman gets up and as the king picks her over everyone else because she was honest, because she was honest. <laughs> That's the most important part I feel. I really feel that. There needs to be honesty in this room today with each other. As she gets honest and opens up who she really is and God begins to move so she gains favor and that favor leads to softening and that softening leads to consecration. The consecration looks at the king and says, this one Let's go. It's time for you to walk in your call. And so God, the, the king calls her and says, this is the one I desire. The one who consecrated herself. I desire her. The one who spent days looking beautiful before me because she wanted to come into my presence. The verse we read, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow. God's going to do something. It's easy to consecrate if it's in five minutes. It's hard to consecrate if it's going to be next month. But we got to spend the month getting ready to interact with God in the way we've always tried of interacting with our God. And the king falls in love with her. And they live a happily loving marriage. And now she's still softening. And he's drawing her close. And Mordecai finds out. Mordecai's her uncle. This man's going to kill our people. But he realizes, I can't go into the presence of the king and point out his number two. I'm too far away from the king to really change anything. And so the Christians who spend their lives distancing from God, well, I don't believe the Holy Spirit moves today. I don't believe in the gifts. I'm sorry. I really do think that's a ridiculous theology, not to slam anyone who believes that. I don't believe God's really doing things today, and I'm distancing from God, and I'm wondering why I'm feeling so far away. But then when cancer hits, when people get sick, when people start to die, when my rent's not getting paid, when I'm falling apart, and when my life hurts, I'm going to call the Christians that have been consecrating themselves and getting closer to God. Because when I pray, it seems like God's not moving. But when they pray, something happens. And so I build a theology that makes me distant. And then when I'm falling apart, I go to the people that believe the thing that I always hated. And Christians who get on their face and cry during worship, those weird Christians when we stand in the back, but when I need prayer, who am I running to? When I don't know how to work, God, I, I, I'm not feeling anything in worship, who am I running to? The weird person crying in the front because my theology kept me distant, but theirs didn't care. 
Ben Gutierrez was my teacher at Liberty University. And something he would say in our class all the time, he says, we never, we don't understand the depth of what God has done for us until we understand the depth of our lostness. We're comfortable creating theologies where we can be far from God because we don't really feel like we've been saved from much. But the Bible says one sin is worthy of hell. And if we got a real, that's why I believe in teaching hell in church. Because if I get a picture of how bad hell is, not to make you afraid, but to make you realize, it'll make you realize, wow, how deep is God's love for me. And so Mordecai says, Esther, that time we talked about is upon us. See, I'm too far away from the king. But you're right at his ear. Tell him of what's going to happen. And so she goes to the king. And what I love is if you go to Esther, it says she talked, but if you go into the Hebrew, it says she whispered. She didn't have to yell to the king, talk to him. She didn't need to petition him. She was so in his favor and she was so close to the king that when the enemy was trying to move against her, all she had to do was whisper to the one right next to her. And here's what happens. This is the king's number two. There was a part of Esther that said, what if he, it's true, you can read the scripture. There's a part of her that is actually kind of afraid that he'll side with his number two. See, she didn't realize the depth of the king's love for her. Because when she finally tells the story, the king says to his number two, you're going to kill the Jews? Which he, he agreed with at first. The king's the one that passed the law saying, yeah, kill them all. And he said, wait a second, you're going to kill the Jews? He's like, yeah, you approved. And he goes, you know, my wife's Jew, right? Yo, no, no, I did not know that. Yo, I did not know that. And the Bible says that he was building this, this pole to hang her uncle on. He hung on that pole. Because this guy had the audacity to touch his bride. And this is why I believe Esther is the greatest warrior in all the Bible. She ended what would have been the first Holocaust. She ended it not by picking up a sword. She won a war without ever lifting her finger. She won a war by whispering to her king because she was so set apart and in his favor. I've been making this saying recently. I've been saying, you know, running a church isn't that hard. I don't think it is if you love the people. And I've been saying, you know, marriage isn't that hard if you love the people. Your calling and living right before God is not that hard if you love God. And by the way, the Bible does say it's a process. Don't hear all this and be like, wow, I suck. I mean, we do a little bit. All of us do. But God loves us anyway, right? I always go back to that Perry Noble story of his daughter who was crying at night. And he came out and found her. And then she said, he said that she was covered in her own vomit. And she reached up to her dad and cried for him. And he's like, I didn't tell her to go clean herself off. I didn't tell her to go prepare herself, then I'll pick her up. I picked her up, covered and throw up and all, because I'm her dad and I'm bigger than that. Just because you've fallen short and just because you're covered in gunk, God's bigger than all that. And he will pick you up and he will dust you off and he will get you going again because I'm positionally sanctified already. But now it's time for practically. I am always the bride of the king. See, Esther could have always been the bride of the king when she got picked. She could have stopped taking care of herself. 
but she continued to be in his favor. And so there was nothing, the enemy could never get someone closer to her king than her. There can be no one that's more over your calling in your life than God. The reason why we hand people authority over it is because we're too afraid to go into his presence. Consecrate yourself. Do not be afraid. Perfect love casts out all fear. Run into the presence of your God regardless of yesterday and heck, let's face it, regardless of tomorrow. Have you ever fallen asleep knowing I'm doing this sin in the morning? God will love you in that. But sanctify yourself. Get still. casting out demons and the demons aren't running away God and Jesus comes and casts them Jesus how come you could cast out these demons and I couldn't see these ones come out from my prayer and fasting translation I could cast these ones out because I was prepared beforehand consecration hear that Jesus was so consecrated that he could handle situations the disciples couldn't He was so set apart and living for God that he could handle the situations that his disciples couldn't. It wasn't because he was God. You know what's crazy? Craziest Bible verse in all the scripture to me. Jesus. The Bible says that God answered the prayers of Christ because he was reverent. It doesn't say God answered the prayers of Christ because he was God. It doesn't say because he was the Messiah. It doesn't say because of how he, it doesn't say any of those things. Literally it says because he was reverent implication he was aware what is aware to consecrate god jesus was so consecrated and so about the father that that's why the father answered his prayers follow him how can you sleep during the storm why well, just snuggle up next to the other guy sleeping for every person in this room that our consecration the way we live before you wouldn't be this mask wouldn't be this show wouldn't be this fake thing God but God it would be real and it would be dirty and it would be marred God and that we would just come to you with the fullness of our weaknesses God so that we can be made strong in you I pray for every person in this room I pray for a true revelation of consecration of sanctification of holiness that we would not be afraid of those words but we would take deep joy in them for we know that you are found in a deeper way in that place God and as you've promised we'll go from glory to glory I pray that as we consecrate we would go from glory to glory I want to end with a Bible verse it's in John we want to just throw that up because I forget the exact verse awesome John 17 16 and 19 they are not of this world just as I am not of this world Jesus is speaking about his disciples they are consecrated they are not of this because I'm not of this see sanctify them in the truth your word is truth that's why this whole thing before you can sanctify you got to get to know your God if you're not getting personal with him it's the word that's truth and it's the truth that sanctifies If you're not getting to know your Messiah, if you're not in your secret place, I promise you, you will never be sanctified. You'll be Gideon thrashing his wheat in a wine press. You'll be those brides, outwardly beautiful, but inwardly they didn't love their king. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them, you guys, into this world. 
blasphemers. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in truth. Translation, Jesus, I am consecrating myself so they can get consecrated and start walking in their call. This is the last prayer Jesus ever prayed over his disciples. The last thing he prayed over them was, God, I'm consecrating myself so let them be consecrated and not be consecrated, not of this world like I am not of this world. And let them begin to live the life that leads them into their calling. He mentions the first two types of sanctification right here in this prayer. Positionally, they are mine. Practically, God, guide them to be that thing so they can go into the world like I went into the world. And this is why Jesus says, greater than these things will you do.